The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. The Book of Acts. It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. Amen. That little, little introduction is from a group of guys that work on called the Bible Project. It's very worthwhile looking into. They're slowly working their way through all of Scripture. And the book of Acts actually has two of those. That's only about a third of the first one, Acts 1 to 12. And Acts 13 to 28 as well have that kind of an introduction, a summarizing of the, the very important themes and the content of the book of Acts. I want to just take a moment uh, to share with you as well some of the resources that we're making available on our webpage. Uh, Pastor Doug has uh, t- obtained permission to, to post on our webpage various Bible resources each week following the sermon that we will post. So, so this morning's sermon will be posted in the next day or so on our webpage. And along with that, you can go to a sermon by series, find the book of Acts, find the sermon of this day, and underneath that you will find three things. You'll find notes, you'll find commentary, and you'll find sermon notes. Now underneath notes you will find, uh, for example, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, Uh, you'll find the ESV Study Bible Notes, you'll find uh, Life Application Bible Notes, you'll also find Life Essentials Study Guide. Uh, on occasion by Gene Getz, and you'll also find questions for Lesson Maker, which is a variety of questions to help you to get into the text. 
Under the commentary section of each passage, you'll find the New American Commentary, which is more of a critical, in-depth kind of commentary that you can study. And then also Sermon Notes, which is basically the insert in your bulletin. It's in a digital form on the, on the webpage each Sunday after the sermon is preached. So all that to say that what we want to do is facilitate you as individuals or you as life groups or families getting deeper into the Word of God. You will, you will receive as much as you invest in this whole experience. If you come to a Sunday morning and hear a sermon preached, you'll get a certain amount out of that, and the Spirit of God will use that in your walk with God and in your obedience to Him. But if you invest a little further in reading through the book of Acts, in studying and answering questions, in looking at some of the extra material, the commentaries, the life application stuff, you will find that you get far more out of it. And if you attend a life group that is studying the book of Acts, you'll even get more out of it as you engage with dialogue with other people and so on. So you probably, if you're in a life group that's studying the book of Acts, or if you decide, you might need to decide up front, so what portion are we committing to? Maybe some of you have a lot of time. You'll want to look at several of these resources that are online. Maybe you have very little time, and you won't be able to look at any of them, but you'll say, well, let's take the sermon notes questionnaire, and let's answer the questions and talk about the sermon and so on. So may the Lord bless you. We want to be as... as uh, facilitating as possible so that really we are a transformed people by God's Word and that we make use of this time. Before we begin to look at the opening verses of the book of Acts, I want to say that like all of Scripture, Acts is a Christ-centered book. There's a woman by the name of Henrietta Mears, the founder of Gospel Light Publications, that told a story once about a group of knights who rode their horses up to this old abandoned castle. And as they got up to these huge stone walls of this castle, they realized that it was impenetrable. They couldn't get in. And they searched all around the walls until finally they found hanging in a little crevice a ring of old rusty keys. They went and took that ring of keys up to the old iron gate, and they began one by one to test to see which key would open the old iron gate, and they could get into this old castle. And one by one failed until they finally came to a key, and they opened the gate, and it, without any problem, it just, it just flew open. And they had access inside the castle. You know, that's the way many people come to the Word of God, the Bible. They come, and they come in their human wisdom to God's Word, and they, and they don't think it's relevant. They don't think it makes sense. It's hard to get into, and it's hard to understand until you get the right key. And the, the Word of God is a Christocentric book. The right key is always Jesus Christ. What God intends you and I to understand from all of Scripture is, is always related to Jesus Christ, His Son, who is to be glorified in our lives in the way we live it out. And so Jesus Himself spoke this way. The apostles did. Paul said that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding or knowledge. Jesus, in speaking to Jewish leaders in John chapter 5, said to them, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. 
but these are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, you could do the same thing as those Jewish leaders did mistakenly. You could, you could study the scriptures with all the, the, the wisdom you could ever muster, but if you refuse to come to this through Christ and see Jesus Christ in the scriptures, you're going to not come out with an eternal difference or an edifying difference in your life. So the Bible is a mystery. It can be hard to get into. Jesus Christ is the key. And as we study the book of Acts, we don't want to forget that for one moment, that all the activity, all the power, all the apostolic preaching, all the missionary journeys, all the early church development, all the expansion beyond Jerusalem until it reaches the ends of the earth, all of it is about Jesus Christ. And we want to keep our eye on him. And so let's take our, our Bibles now and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter, or sorry, Acts chapter 1. And as we open to Acts chapter 1, we want to, in this morning's message, simply do one thing. And that is, what is it in the first few verses of Luke's uh, treaty of Acts, what is it that he really wants to set the table with that are clues to understanding the entire book of Acts, all 28 chapters. And so beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, I would ask that you'd stand with me now and listen to God's word being read. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Let's end there. May God bless his word to us this morning. You may be seated. You can follow along with me in your sermon notes, the insert in your bulletin if you wish. But let's start by just asking the very first question. What is it the first thing that Luke wants you to understand? Anybody that's picking up the book of Acts in the last 2,000 years, what is the first thing that Luke wants you to know in reading the first letters or words of the book of Acts? The first thing he wants you to know is that this isn't the first book. The first thing he wants you to know is that this book is a sequel to another book. And the other book is the Gospel of Luke that bears his own name, Luke, Luke's Gospel. Now, I don't know about you and how you do with sequels, but I get pretty messed up sometimes. In fact, if, if, you, if I'd be honest with you, I have no idea when I go to a Star Wars or Star Trek movie if I'm looking at a sequel or a prequel or a Nyquil or whatever kind of <laughs> quill it is. I, I had to go to Kevin this past week and ask, what's this Rogue One all about? And I was very surprised to hear that it actually predates Harrison Ford in 1977. I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but uh, we drive a Rogue, if that's good enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, the point of the matter is that the same thing goes with the Gospel of Luke and Acts. If you're really going to understand the book of Acts, you better have an understanding of the Gospel of Luke. Now, the fact is, I think all of us, or most of us in this room, probably already have a working knowledge of the Gospel of Luke. You understand that it begins with Jesus Christ's birth being announced. It's, it's his birth. It's, it's his sinless life. 
It's incredible teaching in parable form and in didactic form. It's, it's his road to Jerusalem to go to the cross. It's his voluntary offering of himself on the cross of Calvary under the Romans and the Jewish leaders. It's his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven after visiting and being seen by several of his followers. It's his teaching about the Holy Spirit and so on. This is all thematic and historical uh, reality in the Gospel of Luke. And so you don't need, if you understand that somewhat, you don't need to read the Gospel of Luke to understand the book of Acts, but you do need to know a little bit about Luke to understand Acts, because Acts is building on the Gospel of Luke. And I like the way that Luke begins both of his works, and I want to just read to you Luke chapter 1, uh, the first few verses, just because they sound so very much like Acts chapter 1 that we just read. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke, we get the understanding in reading both of those introductions to the books. We realize that Luke is very, very concerned about historical accuracy. He is a historian. He is very concerned that his reader, Theophilus, whom we'll talk about in a little while, understands accurately what it is, the life of Jesus Christ, and since Christ had ascended, what takes place in his church after that. Very important for him to understand. One author puts it this way, within the New Testament, Acts functions like a hinge between the Gospels and the letters. It tells the story of how Jesus' ministry transitioned to the apostles by the Holy Spirit's leading, announcing the gospel to the first century world. It has a theological center that is missionary in nature. It reveals God as a missionary God. And that's a good description of the book of Acts. So in specific terms, what is, what is Luke and what is Acts all about? The introduction shared that with us. That in the Gospel of Luke, it is all about what Jesus began to do before he was ascended. And in the book of Acts, it's all about Jesus, what Jesus continued to do after he had ascended. So the ascension of Christ is the link. There's a seamless transition between the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the, of the book of Acts and the ascension of Jesus. Jesus leaving this earth in bodily form to come back again one day, that's the pivotal uh, event that divides Luke and Acts. And it's important that we understand that it's all about what Jesus continued to do. It covers about 30 years of history. From about A.D. 32, which is when Jesus Christ ascended, until just a few years before the Apostle Paul was martyred in 67 A.D. So in those 30-plus years of time, everything that you have and will read about this year in the book of Acts takes place. And it starts in Jerusalem and it ends in Rome, incredibly. And the, the whole plan of God's way, his kingdom will grow, begins. And it's all explained, of course, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
So that's the first thing I want to say is that Luke begins by reminding us that this is a sequel and that it's all about uh, what, what Christ is continuing to do. I want to say as well that um, in the, in the, in the uh, Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, we have a, a historical description. Luke is very concerned about history. He is a Gentile convert, probably Roman, since he does not have a Jewish name. He is called the beloved physician in Colossians 4 by the Apostle Paul. He accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys. He is probably the one that cared for the aged apostle before his death. And uh, he's probably, in today's language, he would have been called an academic. For his Greek is a higher level of Greek. His education is very uh, proficient in Roman and Greek world, but also he is well-versed in Hebrew Old Testament as he sprinkles his whole book with Old Testament imagery and verses. And, uh, and so that, that's the first thing we need to know about, about Luke. The second thing I want to say about Luke that he wants us to understand is that this book is really all about the working of the Holy Spirit. It's the acts of the apostles. That's a word, name given to it by Origen, an early church father in the second century AD, and it's stuck with it, but it really isn't in Luke, that name, Acts of the Apostles. It's really the acts of the Holy Spirit. Seventeen times Luke mentions the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke, 56 times he mentions the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts is throbbing and dripping with the presence of God the Spirit through everything that takes place. And it's obvious that this is the plan of Jesus. Before he dies, he speaks about and teaches on the Holy Spirit in John 14 to 17. You can read about that. And after he is resurrected, before he is ascended, he speaks and he teaches more about the Holy Spirit, and he's very earnest that his people understand. He's not going to leave them as orphans. He's going to come back to them, and that coming back to them is in the Holy Spirit's presence that came on the day of Pentecost. Now, next week, we're going to jump into verses 4 to 8, and we're going to study more about what Jesus has instructed the church to do. And we're going to look at the theme verse, which is up here on banners that uh, Giersch and Nikki uh, created for us. Verse 8 will be our guiding light through the entire book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. That's the key. And Jesus' first and only instructions before ascending into heaven was, Wait. That was the main word. That was the key verb. <laughs> Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go missionarying in my name. Don't go preaching in my name. Don't go and start teaching in my name. Don't build up the church in my name. Don't you do anything in my name, Jesus says. You wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. I'm sending him. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But don't go out on the streets by yourself. Don't go preaching in my name. Wait. Do you think that that might have some relevance for today? That we as a body of believers, as individual followers of Jesus Christ, need to really get it? 
that we can't do anything in and of ourselves, that we need to learn to wait, that we need to learn to wait for the Spirit of God to teach us, direct us, guide us, give us wisdom, fill us. I believe it's very important that our study of the book of Acts is all about learning to listen to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what he says in verse 2. He said that before he'd left, he said, wait for the Holy Spirit because everything is going to be instructed by him. And so let us be reminded each week of the study this year that we have no power in ourselves. We must wait upon the Lord. We must not go out without him. We must wait on him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So it's not about a what that the, the church was given on that day of Pentecost. It's about a who. It's not about a something that the church has that the world doesn't have. It's a someone. It's really literally the, the Spirit of God literally dwelling in you and I as flesh and blood beings and having God with us to direct us. That's how Jesus is with us for the sake of his kingdom. So we're going to work on our pronouns this year. I don't want to hear anybody calling the Holy Spirit an it. Because he is God with us. He is God directing his church. And we need to be careful with our pronouns. The third thing that Luke wants us to know about, about his book before we get too far in is that, that the apostles were critical pieces in this. The, the apostles were instructed by the Holy Spirit and they, and they were enacting the plan that the Spirit of God had given them. Now in chapters 1 to 12, we will hear a little bit about John and James and Philip. But the real principal actor in verses, chapters 1 to 12 is Peter, Peter the Apostle. And then, interestingly enough, at chapter 13, Peter sort of fades into the background, and Paul the Apostle, the untimely born Apostle, the one that meets Jesus on the road to Emmaus, or uh, Emmaus? Damascus, yes. You know, I'll get the road to Emmaus on my mind because I've got, we've got a seminar coming up. What a great segue. And uh, we got a, a seminar coming up on how to share our faith, and that's got to do with Emmaus. But Paul is the principal character in chapters 13 to 28. And it's so important that we understand that the book of Acts really contains the rest of the New Testament, all the letters, all the epistles, all the things that are happening in letter form and so on are, are found in, in the book of Acts as we see the journeying of missionaries and so on. Let's not lose sight of the fact that these are people that had been with Jesus, and we have recorded in Scripture their teaching, their experience, so that the church of 21st century doesn't wander off into some bad land that says this is spirituality when really it's nothing but, but a fleshly form of spirituality. And so Jesus says in, in Acts 1 verse 3, it says, He showed himself to these men, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appeared to them over 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's the people that wrote the New Testament. And we want to follow what they have, have followed. In one of the resources online, the uh, Life Application Study Bible says this, that 
Here in a series of meetings with the living Christ, the disciples had many questions answered. In that period of time, they became convinced of the resurrection. They learned about the kingdom of God. They discovered their power source in the Holy Spirit. And by reading the Bible, we can sit with the resurrected Christ in his school of discipleship. By believing in him, we can receive his power through his spirit to be new people. And by joining with other Christians, we can take part in doing his work on earth. That's the uh, Life Application Study Bible. And so God spoke then. He, he spoke through these two books that Luke wrote. The, the one is, is necessary to understand, to get the point of the other. The principal character really is Jesus Christ as evidenced and led and manifest through his Holy Spirit. The people that were enacting that were the apostles that God had appointed through Jesus Christ while he was on earth. And through the book of Acts, we see the apostles leading the early church in all of the expansion from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. And in that whole process, we see Jesus Christ being exalted in every ethnic group. We see People, simple people that were uneducated at times, being equipped to be the very ones that carried the message of power of Christ out to people. You know, we don't want to overemphasize the apostles. The, the very day of Pentecost that came, which we will talk about next week, and that very infusion of the Holy Spirit upon every believer... That Joel prophesied of your, your daughters, your sons, your old men, your young men, everybody is going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. You see, that is discipleship. That is the equipping that you need. You already got the main equipping that you need to be the light of Jesus Christ on this earth. Now, we're going to do some equipping this year in evangelism and in sharing our faith, but I'll tell you, we already got the equipping, the Spirit of God in us. He says, I'll give you the words. I'll show you the people. I've already been working in their hearts. You just need to wake up and obey me. <laughs> I had a, we were having a conversation a few weeks ago in our home with a couple, and we were talking about what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? How is it that we, like, like the apostles in Acts 1-2, received instructions from the Holy Spirit? How is it that we receive instructions from the Holy Spirit? We need to get that. We, if we study the book of Acts and understand those 30 years of history, but we don't get how it is that we, in the 21st century, understand how to listen and be attentive to the Holy Spirit, we've missed the point of why God gave us our Bible. I, I shared in that conversation that it's like waking up in the morning and the very first conscious thought you have, it should be, I am full of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that true or is that not true? Have you had time to blow it yet? Your first conscious thought? Did you go to sleep all night and, and not, were not filled with the Spirit? You know, I mean... I know that kind of gets off on all kinds of different ideas. Is, is it a, a volume filling, like, you know, like, like leaders? Not really, because when that word is used in Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, controlled by wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by Him. 
So the point is, is that, is that if we're going to receive instructions from the Holy Spirit, the way the apostles followed it out in Acts 28 chapters of Acts, then we're going to have to really be attentive to Him. We're going to have to learn how to, to wake up and say, now God, I've already got my day timer filled. I can squeeze you in between 12.30 and 1. No, you can't do it that way. Because the Holy Spirit might come along and say, you know, I know you planned this, but, but I've planned this. Are you available? That's really what being a Christian is, isn't it? Just, is, are you available for the Holy Spirit to fill? Well, the last thing I want to share is that, that name Theophilus. Who is that man? In uh, the New American Commentary, we read that it means, the name means God-lover, literally, Theophilus, God-lover. And um, that many attempts have been made to, to see this as a symbolic person, not a literal person. Let me read to you what the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, gives you a little, little summary. Some people, it writes, says Theophilus was a seeker after God that Luke tried to explain Christianity to. Some people think that he was a recent convert that was being discipled by Luke, and that's why he wrote. Some people say that he was an early church leader, and Luke was providing a, a tool of teaching, an equipping summary of all that ha had taken place in the early church. And still other people believe that perhaps, again, this is conjecture, that, that Theophilus was Luke's patron financing the publication of Luke and Acts, because at the time, even though just 20% of, of, of the men in, in, in urban areas were literate, there was a book culture that was thriving among the academics in the ancient world, and this cost a lot of money, the handwriting, the duplication of, of copies of manuscripts and so on. And so maybe that's who Theophilus was. We don't know. All kinds of conjecture. When Pat and I were on our sabbatical and we were in Greece and we were, we were traveling, we visited an island south of Greece. And on the island, we went and stayed at a bed and breakfast. And the host's name were Jenny and Theophilus. His, the husband was Theophilus. And I was just so excited that I, I said to him on the second day, do you know your name's in the Bible? And, and, I, and I couldn't tell whether he knew or not, but I was going to show him anyway. So I, I showed him in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, his name, I read it to him. And on the last day, we had a couple of conversations about faith, but on the last day, I left him my Gideon's New Testament that I'd been traveling with in the hopes that he might read it. Boy, if you read Luke and Acts, you're going to get it. You're going to get the life of Christ and, and what is his kingdom all about. Friends, we don't know who this Theophilus is, but I want to say, what a clever way if it was Luke's way of writing, to create a symbolic name, Theophilus, very common name, God-lover, and a way of just writing anybody that's out there in the Roman world, God-lovers, in a hostile culture where there was persecution against Christians under people like Nero. What a great and clever way to, to get the word of Christ out there and to write God-lovers. And perhaps more importantly, the question for us is today, are we God-lovers? Are we God-lovers? Because that's, that's going to be the real value of, of the book of Acts for us, is will we get it? Will we understand what it's all about? 
I read uh, about a seminary professor that was teaching a theology course, and he started on the left side of the whiteboard, and he started drawing a line with his marker, and he went all the way across to the right side of the whiteboard. And he said, this is from eternity past to eternity future that God has known you before you existed, and he loves you. And then he went and took his marker, and he drew just one vertical line in the middle. And he said, and that's your life your lifespan. Whether it was 20 or 40 or 60 or will it be 80 years, it's just a little blip. It's so short in terms of eternity, and yet it's long enough for you to respond back to God and say, I love you too. That's really what this life is all about. It's all about us responding like Theophilus's lovers of God and saying, God, I love you too. And I want my life to be all about loving you back. Didn't Jesus say that all the scripture could be summed up with just one commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's all there. I think that John Ogilvie here writes a very succinct comment about where we're at. And this I will leave you with as the worship team comes. It says, so much of the church today is where Theophilus was when he read this stirring account of Acts. We have been instructed in the things that Jesus did, but we know far too little about what he is continuing to do through his spirit. Isn't that the truth? And isn't that the goal of our study this, this year? Is that we wouldn't stop with Luke in knowing what Jesus did 2,000 years ago but that we will really go on to study what Jesus is continuing to do. Amen. As a fellow pastor, I think one of the most difficult things I've ever faced is trying to preach an introduction to a new book of the Bible. Difficult because you've got to get a lot of technical stuff into the background to set the stage. And also difficult because you've got to set the enthusiasm for the message before you can tell the message. And that's a bit of a double whammy. Also, the audience has a difficult time. We come longing for something better in our lives. Something richer. Something fuller that's authentic. And so we come and we say, Oh God, come and fill me with all that you have. But also we're scared that we're going to get ripped off. We're going to be set up with one more false hope. And we say, Don't you dare come too close. And we give this double message to God. And that's what happens in this kind of a service. And God up in heaven says, I understand. I want to answer your deepest prayers. Give me time. Get your heart ready. 
Dig into the book of Acts on your own. Dig into it. And get ready for what I would like to do with you, which is far better than anything you could dream or I could dream. And I can't think of a fact that's more important than that we get called to wait for a little while. I, I have a sense that the year 2017 is going to be a powerful time in this church. I really do. And I could give you the reasons why. But now's the time to wait and prepare our hearts to get the greatest message that's authentic and not a ripoff that catches the power of the Spirit of God rather than the foibles and weakness of man. Oh God, our Father, we come with empty hearts and a longing within our souls for something better, freedom from our sins and our own sense of corruption, a sense of joy that comes from you and, and rebounds to others around, blesses our families, we long, O oh God, for your power to come into our lives and redirect us. And so we humbly bow our heads this day and say, today we will wait until you come, the real one. Amen.